Hello, newsies. It's a it's a beautiful uh, Friday. Um, Working at the bar. I'll never stop. <laughs> it's a beautiful Friday, so I've decided to let gorgeous natural light pour into my room, which of course means that I'm washed out on one half of my face. But that's just going to be the price you pay for me looking out and seeing the beautiful world. Glowing like an angel is how I mm. like to think of it. Okay. All right. Fine. I would um, rather you be vibrant mm, and exuberant mm, and feeling lively, uh, uh-huh. looking at the beautiful outdoors and uh-huh. soaking in the energy, uh-huh. rather than having a, a fatal brain cloud. Yeah, that, or like, I don't know, fluorescent lights hanging above me, making me feel awesome, all man. blotchy and puffy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, hey, everybody, I'm, uh, I'm Alex, this is Kate, you know it. Um, and, uh, um, we are, uh, reviewing today, Joe versus the volcano. Yes, we um, are. Which, uh, which again has developed a cult following over the years, but I would argue for, for a good reason this time. <laughs> this, I just like... We'll get into it. But, like, yeah. Tom Hanks is just unbelievable. He's, he's, he's an so unbelievable actor. He really and is. I was like, you know what? I would run it back with Meg Ryan a bunch, too, because their chemistry is so, mm-hmm. like, truly, like, off yep. the charts. It's it's such a, a sweet relationship that they yes. always have in these. But, um, yeah, of all the ones that we watched with the cult following, Velocipaster mm-hmm. aside, because that deserved all of the well, love yes. I got. Yes. Uh, this one actually deserved it and mm. um it didn't need any former credibility to come before it, it didn't need no. to be written and directed by a best picture winner but 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 it, but it was <laughs> um okay so this is uh this is the the brain ch- brainchild of playwright uh john patrick shanley um, who was a darling of the off-Broadway set in the 80s um, and uh, wrote, a, wrote a lot of plays in that time, but also a bunch of screenplays I did not know that he had written. Um, but the one that I did know that he wrote, I thought it won Best Picture, but apparently it was The Last Emperor. Uh, 1987, Moonstruck, uh, he wrote, uh, which uh, which won the Best uh, Actress um Oscar for Cher and was nominated for Best Picture, but he won Best Original Screenplay. Um, and so a few years later, he turned out another screenplay and they threw a bunch of money at him and says, and he said, I also want to direct. And they were like, cool. Um, who would you like to be in your movie? And he said, well, there's this uh, guy, Tom Hanks. Uh, he was nominated for an Oscar for Big. Uh, I'd like to be him. And also, you know the uh, chick from the diner scene in When Harry Met Sally? Her. Uh, like, you want Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan to be in a movie together? That'll never work. Okay, fine. Here's $25 million. Go make your movie. Uh, little did, did, did anybody know they were going to make magic together and uh, do it again a couple more times in the 90s. Um, so, yeah, the first ever on-screen pairing of Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks was not Sleepless in Seattle. It was no. this movie. It's yeah. so sweet. And like what's fun, I feel like in the other Meg Ryan's Tom Hanks, as in most rom-coms, the story is like so 
it's about the romance and the meat cutes and their combined arcs mostly. This felt like it had such an individual uh, story for Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan's whole situation in this, which we'll get into, is is so quirky and so different than anything else in her career. It's kind of weird she showed this much depth and then I guess that was kind of the 90s in rom-coms though. They like shrunk it down, but she made a bunch of money off of it, so good for her. But. Yes, good for her. <laughs> um, uh, yes, this movie um, I first saw on Laserdisc. On Laserdisc. On Laserdisc, which was the future. You know, giant, huge, round discs you had to put in, and halfway through you had to take it out and turn it over and then put it back in your system. Um, but it was the future in the mid-90s. Boy, howdy. Um, uh, yeah, so... It was not. No, it was not. It didn't last that long, right? Like that. No, was even... no. When they, when they realized, oh, we can make these discs much smaller. They called them DVDs, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the laser just thing kind of went out. Um, but uh, but no, I I I saw it in uh, early years of my of high school. Um, it was actually the uh, my first ever drama teacher that recommended it um, because uh, she um, was young and had just gotten through college where everyone did scenes from John Patrick Shanley plays. So he was kind of a god to those uh, to that era of of drama kids and um and uh i didn't i didn't notice this until you know i I don't know how many times i've watched this movie it's been a while but i watched it a lot through my 20s um of how much this movie is just um john patrick Stanley says i want to i want to do the biggest play i possibly can Mm. um and uh, i get the only way to do that is, is with a movie like you can't put the the scope of what he wanted to do. You also have like to narrow the focus to some a tiny little moment, but also to broaden it to be this whole thing. You can't do that in 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 uh, in a play. So you're going to do it in a film. So he was like, okay, well, I'm going to use the sensibilities that I would have to direct this as a play, but just do it on film. Um, it is incredibly stylized. The dialogue is stylized. The the it is uh, the whole thing starts out with once upon a time there was a guy named Joe who had a very lousy job. Um, it is a it is a fairy tale. It is a, it is a parable. Um, it is uh, not supposed to be in any way hewing to the bounds of reality. They show you that from the very beginning, and which is incredibly important. So people like me don't go. Well, that's not realistic. Um, <laughs> Uh, because it's not. It's it shows you that it's not. Um, uh, it, <laughs> there's there's a a factory um, uh, operating on the outskirts of New York City. Everyone who is going to work at this factory arrives at the exact same time and all opens their car doors at the exact same time. Um, the problem is is that uh, Tom Hanks. Uh, who uh, steps out of his car directly into a giant puddle. Um, and everyone gets out of the car at the same time, closes their doors at the same time, walks, trudges to the entrance. Um, uh, the walking past the chain link fence, which uh, shows that this is, oh, I can't remember the name of the particular company, but it is a subsidiary of A-A-A-C-H-I, uh, which is 
is that I don't know why I can pronounce this achy. Um, uh, and that particular company is the home of the rectal probe, of uh, bringing you great petroleum jelly for over 50 years. Um, while everyone is trudging, they're doing it in time to um, uh, 16 tons. The old, yes. the old, the old song about that, but it, it's a new uh, version of it. It's really uh, good. It's really great, and it is uh, recorded by uh, the lead singer of the uh, rock group, The Animals, who did uh, "House of the Rising Sun" back in the '60s. There is a house in New Orleans, um, uh, and it's it's a really great one. But it's uh, it's just it's a perfect encapsulation of what this life is for Joe and all of his coworkers. So off the bat. I, I just was, I'm always amazed when things from like late 80s, early 90s grab my attention super quick. Mm-hmm. And you can tell he was a playwright too, in my opinion, because a lot of the stuff we watch, let's be real, there's like a half hour that you can cut out of a lot of these, especially because we're reviewing bad and weird and whatever. Mm-hmm. This like wastes no time getting into telling you exactly what it is. One thing that I really loved was even though it was very clear that you're not operating in reality, it's one of those things where it's like, well, this isn't reality note by note, but this is an extremely grounded, yes. uh, relatable, non-real world. That's what like a like why I like reading like a Vonnegut or something. Like it's mm-hmm. it's not real, but it's oh, it's super real. And with that framework, like Tom Hanks is the perfect guy to knock this out of the park. Mm-hmm. Of course, they wanted to right. go and get him. Right. <laughs> um, everyone uh, comes inside. Everyone again trudging in single file. Everyone's wearing grays, just different different gray tones gray. of gray. Um. Uh. Oh. 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 Always walking in. Um. This is Tom Hanks. Uh. Uh scuffs the sole like of a shoe out of the bottom so it's just it's he's just his shoes coming apart uh it's important for a line of dialogue later that is again very symbolic and stylized but um everyone's going inside and there's this guy there's a huge thing that says um satisfied customers home of the rectal probe satisfied customers and then like 712,765 um and there's a guy whose job is to st- to sit in a booth. And then he looks over here and he pulls this giant lever with all of his might and pulls the lever. And then six, 765 goes to chunk 766. That's his entire job in this factory is he gets a notification of there has been a satisfied customer and he has to, with all of his strength, pull a lever. It's incredibly stylized, um, but it is very symbolic of just the drudgery of this of this existence for Joe and all of his coworkers, but Joe thankfully doesn't actually have to uh, dump petroleum jelly into giant barrels. Um, he uh, he's not testing the rectal probes. He is the advertising librarian, so he has to go all the way to the bottom basement of this place, clock in, and go into this uh, to this office where he uh, works with three other people. One fellow who never has a line of dialogue, but looks like he is actively dying. Um, and uh, and uh, uh, Meg Ryan, who uh, does not look like you've ever seen Meg Ryan before. No. Um, she's got just a the little. Fact she was brunette, was like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> just a little, a little brunette uh, haircut and uh, very little makeup. 
Uh, she's all washed out. Everyone's all washed out because there's nothing but fluorescent lights in there. Again, it's all supposed to look very stylized. Um, but she is shoved her entire body basically almost underneath the world's smallest desk um, with a huge typewriter that takes up the entire surface of the desk. And she has shoved herself all the way in it. So this is how she types. Like, it, like it's 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 incredible. Like she's so great in this particular role because it is it feels um, so real. Like you could see this character in any other movie. Um, and she has and like it doesn't feel like brunette hair yeah. and like perfect little lips, and she has a little New York accent, and it's so everything in this movie like. It's built on the tangible right. pieces of it, like as wacky as it gets. Is it's just like, yeah. I've I've this, been I've been in that office. I've been in the office with mm-hmm. no lights. I've been having the mindless mm-hmm. job, like yep. all those things. Um the the boss, the manager of this office, is Mr. Waturi, played by the wonderful Dan Hedea, who did a lot of stuff in the in the in the nineties. Um, but. His all of his dialogue is it, again. It's 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 supposed to drive you insane as a person who's listening to it. Um, uh, but it is also just a Meisner routine. Like yes. how can how can you repeat the same line of dialogue and make it sound different every time? Uh, which was a big thing in the seventies and eighties. But um, uh, it, like in actual plays, like it would be like a thing of like how how do we like as as part of the inaneness of, of the inanity. Uh, the really inane sure. milieu. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it is. It does feel like um, they're they're making a comment on on how ridiculous it is just to live in this in this life. But he keeps repeating, "I'm not arguing with that with you. I'm not arguing that with you. I'm not arguing that with you." Which is like you can tell there's a guy on the other part who's trying to make a point. He's like, I grant you that point. There is another point I'm trying to make here. And it's just you can absolutely see how there would be in an actual other conversation, a full conversation, the other guy on the other end trying to make a point and him responding this particular way. But he says it 25 times in a row. I also, because um, so that's accompanied by two repeatedly saying, I know he can get hired for the job, but can he do the job? Mm-hmm. You can hear the argument. But I immediately right. also thought of the movie Office Space because of the mm-hmm. corporate accounts fable. Nina speaking, just a mm-hmm. moment. Like, that's such a mm-hmm. clever device to put into right. office environments. And it is also a really great pretext for letting you know who this guy is once we see, like, the later interactions with Joe. But right. very feels like a scene setting type thing. Mm-hmm. And then you realize like, Oh, that's his, this, this manager's personality with everybody. Yeah. And uh, Joe uh, can't get the hat rack to, to hold his hat. Cause it all it just keeps falling apart. Uh, but he, he, he has to, he goes to where the coffee is, but it's so, it's like a, it's like a weird little um, trick of the mind. The, the hallway actually slopes gently up as the ceiling slopes gently down on this hallway to the end of it. And also the walls go in. So when the time you get to where the coffee is, you're like this and you have to make your coffee like this. It, it, it's, it's a really cool little thing. Also the coffee is terrible. It's instant coffee and the creamer doesn't cream. Um, but 
he so he gets to go into his office, and his office is just this back corner with a, with a with a door, uh, and there's a huge drain that says "Do not touch," and like a huge a huge pipe with a big uh, wheel that says "Do not touch," and he just, he just absentmindedly touches it as he walks by uh, because he just wants to not to know what it is. But this is where um, uh, Meg Ryan comes in. Her name is Dee Dee. And she says, hey, Joe, what's with the shoe? Because he's looking at the shoe that's been torn apart. He's like, I'm losing my soul. Huh? Uh-huh. He's, he's losing his soul. See, because it means the bottom of your shoe, but it also means, you know, the, 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 part, the part of you that makes you a human being. Um, uh, I, I love this dialogue between them. Uh, he always supposed to, he's the advertising librarian. It is his job to uh, send out catalogs to people who need catalogs but he's run out of catalogs and it was mr waturi's job his boss to order make put in an order to the printer to make new catalogs but mr waturi ignored joe banks saying this to him and so now somehow it's joe banks's fault for not for not making mr waturi not ignore his pleas for more catalogs so mr waturi is very very angry Loved this scene for a few reasons. One, when I was watching this, I know I made the reference to Office Space before, but I immediately was like, they watched this movie before they did that movie because Mm -hmm. when they send him to storage room B, it looks just Mm -hmm. like this. And the catalog discussion is the TPS Mm -hmm. report discussion, a little bit different. Mm -hmm. The um, He says, I asked you to order them three weeks ago. And then I reminded you two weeks ago, and the boss says, did you remind me last week? <laughs> Basically, like, do better. You should have reminded right. me last week. Mm-hmm. And he's he's so angry at him about it. It's, it's God, Tom Hanks is just, I've, I've lived in this day. I've had this job. I've had my shoe soul ripped out. I've had the job where my soul has been sucked out of me through my shoes. Like, mm-hmm. it, he's so good at eliciting emotion. And this is so early in the movie. I was just mm-hmm. like, man, everything this guy does is just yeah. dripping in authenticity. And it's so important for the beginning phases of a character like this. Yeah. He, um, he, uh, Anyway, he oh he when he sits down before Mr. Wachuri comes in, he goes into his little filing cabinet and pulls out a lamp, like a little novelty table lamp, and the lamp shade spins while the lamp is on and making noise. There's a little hula girl that is like the base of the lamp, and then the lamp shade spins and shows you <coughs> a um <coughs> a sun a sunset. Hawaiian scene and a, uh, a nighttime Hawaiian scene. And it gets, you know, uh, lit by the lamp as it passes around. So he just likes to look at it because it's not the fluorescence. And um, <clears throat> Mr. Waturi says, take that lamp off your desk. This is not your bedroom. This is an office. You, you, you know, like, and it's like, I'm, but the, the, the fluorescent lights, they really bother me, sir. Um, uh, he's, I don't feel good. I have a doctor's appointment. Another doctor's appointment? Um, I just, I don't feel good. Well, you think I feel good? I feel rotten every day, but I don't let it affect my work. There's a recurring thing here. We'll talk about it later in the doctor's office, but, um, I'm a, I just love Tom Hanks. So you're just going to get me fangirling a lot in this, but two things. Tom Hanks is one of the most effective actors I've ever seen as using volume, like as a, as a piece of storytelling, like, Mm -hmm. 
huge baseball fan obsessed with the league of their own obviously the when he's like trying to control his anger and tell her she's got to do better and hit the cutoff mm-hmm. man like yeah. this um his low voice uh, just the beaten down as contrasted with his asshole boss and the notion that you um can't describe how you don't feel good as one of the most mm-hmm. frustrating feelings in the world and nobody actually listening to what you're really saying is like jumps off the screen because we've all had that too of like i'm i just feel off and i can't tell you specifically like he says like i think the lights are making me blotchy or whatever but like over and over again he's like i haven't felt good like Mm -hmm. and nobody's really picking up what he's saying starting with the manager later with the doctor like this whole beginning is such gangbusters because it just um you have no idea that the movie would go where it's going to go after this too. And it just so many times we've seen like all of this exposition that doesn't really play into anything in these like eighties and nineties movies. So much is being told and so well up front right here. Like mm-hmm. really, really, really good. Yeah. Um, so uh, after Mr. Waturi reads him the riot act, Didi comes <laughs> in and says, why do you let him talk to you like that? Um, I don't feel good. What is wrong with you? I don't feel good. <laughs> what is the matter with you? I don't know. Um, so she's asking him, what's wrong with you that you let him talk to you like that? But his immediate response is, what's wrong with you? I don't feel good. Um, so there's this great little cut where he's like pressing the, the heels of his palms really hard into his eyes and then cut to the nurse saying, Mr. Banks? Mr. And he's still doing the same thing, but in a different place. And it's a really cool little cut. Um, so he's in alone in a waiting room with a nurse. Uh, who, he walks his door. And this is the first color we've seen in the entire movie. And it's all rich mahoganies. Because this, <laughs> this, this incredibly well-appointed um, doctor's office with like a fireplace and ju- leather-bound volumes all over the huge floor to ceiling bookshelves and his giant mahogany desk. Um, And this is Dr. Ellison played by Robert Stack of unsolved mysteries. Um, And, uh, and just, was uh, he an airplane? Yeah. Yeah. He was not striker, but the guy who was yelling at striker and that. Yeah. The guy, the guy who spoke. (laughs) Yes. That that guy. Um, uh, But he, um, he's, he's, uh, so they have a conversation about what's going on. And um, uh, is this, um, so how, how long have you been feeling like this? You can tell this is this is his first time coming to this doctor. How long have you been feeling like this, Joe Bishop Banks? Um, I mean, off and on since I, I left the fire department, so about eight years. Um, what work did you do in the fire department? I uh, put out fires. Um, <laughs> was it dangerous? Yeah, you know, some rough stuff. Uh, but I made it out okay. Um, I, I, I had to quit because I... I I felt bad all the time. Um, so you find out that he used to be a vibrant person and, uh, uh, he, uh, you know, has this very heroic job, but now he's just this office drudge. Um, he's like, <clears throat> well, we got your rest of your chest back. I have cancer. No, it's not cancer. Something wrong with my blood or my urine? No, they're fine. But there is something. What? Tell me. You have a brain cloud. And just the way that, like, he's like, okay, so this is, Tom Hanks is so good at this. Um, uh, he says, uh, okay, 
Is he stealing himself for it? What is it? Tell me. I can take it. The doctor says, you have a brain cloud. A brain cloud? <laughs> like, like he just, he's never heard that before. Uh, no one ever has. Uh, spoiler alert. There's this thing. Uh, but anyway, um, uh, you have a brain cloud. It's a fog of tissue running down the middle of your brain, and it's going to spread at a regular rate until your brain dies. You've got about six months to live. But you'll be perfectly healthy until then. I don't feel good now. Well, that's the thing. That you're a hypochondriac, and there's nothing wrong with you apart from the brain cloud, which has no symptoms. So um, I don't know. All you have to do is just stop feeling bad, uh, and you will not feel bad. You'll die in six months. But if you just stop feeling bad, you'll be fine until you die in six months. Um, so... So much that I loved about this, and I'm probably so reading a lot into it. So take what you like, get rid of what you don't. Um, the immediate jump to cancer, everybody does it. Like, mm-hmm. and what's amazing about this, this was written before WebMD, where you could just Google yourself and give yourself cancer with any symptoms you threw out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love how quickly Tom Hanks was like, it's cancer. I've been feeling bad for a long time. Like, just immediately jumped to it. And also the idea that he was a young, vibrant guy when he had this like adrenaline pumping job and he started to not feel good. And what would everybody tell you in that scenario of like, you should just go get an, a stable office job. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. that's something that's slowly killing him. Like I loved all of the things that I decided to read into this whole scene. Um, but, and then the, the brain cloud thing being again, that line of like, it's fictional, but God, if it's not very real, <laughs> like such a really, really, really um, well done scene by, by both actors in this. Cause it's, mm-hmm. um, cause it's not real, but it feels accessible the whole time, which is cool. Right. Um, um, you see, uh, the uh, doctor says, you're welcome to get a second opinion, of course. And, Tom Hanks brushes that off. I knew it. I mean, I, I knew it. I mean, I didn't know it, but I knew it. Um, uh, so he leaves and walks out, uh, walks out the door and immediately the world looks different to him. And this tiny old lady is walking her great Dane, which is taller than she is. Um, and he just, he just like, like bends down to get eye level with the dog and kind of like walks up to it and like grabs it by the face. It's a very well-trained dog and, and looks it right in the face. But again, the, it's so stylized. The camera is pulling away from, from him as it's doing this. It ends up what feels like a hundred yards away from him as he's getting as po- close as possible to this giant dog. And, but the point of it is, is to show that like uh, just, it's also symbolic. There's one door he walks out of, of a sheer face brick wall, which there's nothing, there's no windows. There's nothing else. Just this thing that he walks out of. And then there's a little old lady and her great Dane and his old tri- crappy car that he gets in and drives away in. Um, uh, so yeah, his life is, is irrevocably changed now that he can see, you know, uh, what's what's going to happen to him? So he goes back to uh, to his office. He's he's got to come back from his his uh, his uh, three hour appointment. lunch break. <laughs> you were at lunch for three hours. Well, I, I I had the doctor's appointment, you know. So, um, but anyway, he comes back and immediately like just looks around, like what the hell is all this shit? 
Um, and uh, of course, um, he's still on the phone yelling something else. No, no, you were wrong. He was wrong. No, I didn't say that. If I said that, I would have been wrong. Like he just keeps doing the the, the boss thing. But then um, he's just he just starts to, just like like a like a child messing with things. Like he goes and he pulls the paper out of Dee Dee's typewriter, crumples it up and throws it away. Um, and uh, he just he starts messing with stuff. There's because it's a medical supply company. There's like a prosthetic arm just sitting on this table. And he shakes the hands of it, and he's he's arm arm wrestling the the, the which is all you can tell it's all improv stuff for, for Dep Tom Hanks, but he takes the arm and he starts patting Mister Waturi on the head with it, um, and there's these there's a trophy that has uh, artificial testicle prototypes just sitting on the top of this trophy, and he just starts throwing them, bonking them off of the boss's head. Um, and he goes into the to the to the, to the other room, his office. Um, and Mr. Waturi follows him off the phone now. And the first thing he gets in the, in the room is he ta- he goes to the, the big pipe with a, with a wheel on it, and spins it the like to loosen it to see what happens. Nothing happens. You know how long I've been sitting in this office wondering what would happen if this th- if I touch this thing, and it turns out nothing. The whole thing's nothing. Ah, I wanted jet. to do this since the first day I worked here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And so he he takes all of his stuff. He he like he's got books. You can tell he's a learned man. He's got books. He's got um uh Robinson Crusoe, um, Romeo and Juliet, The Odyssey. He's taking his books and his lamp. I quit. You quit. Um uh how you can't quit. And but he's like, but Tom Hanks is having a monologue about how much he hates this job and how much he's got to quit and everything and uh, you know whatever. And Mr. Wachori just keeps interrupting him with, you blew this job. You blew this job. He just he can't not repeat stuff. It's great. So he goes in the other room and has this amazing um, speech before he leaves. Um, uh, $300 a week. This life, this whatever it is. $300 a week. I, I gave up my life. I sold it to you for $300 a week, which is a, oh, God, that, that, cut, that cut me. Like, I remember having an office job and I feel like I'm, I'm selling who I am. Just the, the, my, my time, me, my life. I'm selling it to these people I hate it's- for a few hundred bucks a week. Oh, it's so good. It's so good too because the scene before we see him say the doctor he Tom Hanks is like what should I do and the doctor's like you got six months go on vacation go live your go life go on vacation like, do you have any savings I don't have any savings no, I, I spent, spent everything everything I had on doctors <laughs> um so I like it because the frustration kind of starts there and spills over here this feels like what would happen if a well-intending person snapped like I, yeah. I know my sister's done it in really fun ways when she's quit like waitressing jobs when she was in her twenties. Like the, not like I snapped and went crazy. The like, I've been holding all of the shit in about how stupid this place is. And here's all of it. And then the boss not letting a word get in edgewise, but the, the physical demonstrations of stuff, God, the arm wrestling, the prosthetic thing was hysterical. Um, And then him 
we get him actually like kind of the, the climax of his anger here, like throwing the boss against the wall at that $300 a week. And then he's like, and your mm-hmm. coffee sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and so and the guy who has, the guy who has no lines in this office ever is sitting at his desk. And when he says the coffee stinks, the guy goes, like he just he nods. He's like, I yeah, yeah, the coffee does stink. But also Meg Ryan is so great throughout this scene because they keep cutting back to her in different poses, listening to him through like she's at one point she's really cringing away from him. At one point she's like literally bent over her typewriter with her like her chin on it, like just like hiding. Ah, oh, it's so good. Um, Especially because so she great. was the one who was like, why do you let him talk to you like that? And then it's like, literally hours later, like, remember, yeah. this is all the same day. It's such yeah. a fun, like, whoa, he went zero to 60. <laughs> yeah. Um, he, uh, uh, he, he he leaves and he comes back in and says, Didi, you want to have dinner tonight? Uh, Didi, yeah? You want dinner tonight? Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. And, she's and so then, precious. She's like, so I I want a whole oh. movie with just Didi. Like Meg Ryan as Didi is so yeah. good. Um anyway, um uh, so she leaves uh and th- they go to dinner. Um and they go to dinner at at a at a, at a little uh, little Mexican restaurant. Um and he's just spouting. He's so passionate about all these things he's been thinking about the universe. Um and it's so and cool. all She's... the color back in his face. Like, they oh, did I know. such a good job with, like, yeah. I quit and I'm alive and I am physically vibrant now was mm-hmm. such a fun device in this. Yeah. Uh, and all the colors of the restaurant, too. It's like the first real colors we're seeing. Um, and it's like, he says, uh, blah, 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 blah. The door to the universe is you. And and he says, and she goes, me? <laughs> like, it's... <laughs> She's so great in this thing. Um, and uh, and you can tell they're like, you know, they're, that this is the first time anybody like this has paid any attention. Oh, I love that too. Where, where he says, um, uh, this isn't an office. This is a used condom. <laughs> and, and Mr. Ortori says, uh, excuse me, there is a woman here. You don't think I don't know that? I've been sitting here for years. Yeah. Oh. I, I can taste the sweetness of her. I, when when her, the fabric of her dress moves from across the room, it drives me insane. And she's sitting like, "Oh my god, no one's ever talked to me like oh that." Like it's, uh, it's it's oh, it's so cute. Um, but anyway, uh, they have this this thing, this conversation about what scares you, what doesn't, and uh, you are so different now. Like I, I, what is what is up? Like like um, how do you feel? I feel great. See, you never feel great. I, it's true. I never do feel great. He starts checking his glands. Like yeah. it's just, um, he says, hold on one second. And um, he, uh, he jumps out of his seat and he runs over to the mariachi band. Um, and uh, Meg Ryan is looking after him. Like, I don't, should I just leave? I'm very scared of this person, but I'm very intrigued. And he comes back and he says, what did you do? I bribed them to sing us a song that would, uh, make, would make our hearts swell and burst. And she reacts as though, like, somehow the song that they sing will actually make her heart swell and burst and she will die. (laughs) Like, she has been so trapped herself in this life that she doesn't know how to react to somebody who's breaking out of it. She, like, she, she is fascinating, 
but she like there's no way she goes along she can go along with it there's this awesome little moment where they're playing the song and he reaches his hand out across the table to her and she puts her fist in it and he closes his up like she's so bow, balled up and tight she can't let go and the change in him was so abrupt too mm-hmm. it's just like i'm uncomfortable in this environment i don't mm-hmm. even think i know you right now like it's mm-hmm. such a um god it's it's just so everything feels authentic through like a very fun but wackadoo storyline it's it's really really good yeah the um there's the next they they um they take the Staten Island ferry because he lives in Staten Island. They take the Staten Island ferry and in the background as they're sitting there and they're just looking at each other um, at night, there's a, obviously a, a painted backdrop of New York City, um, but lit behind the painted backdrop are all these very fake looking neon lights, but it's supposed to be just symbolic of all the colors that are now back in Joe's life very very cool he lives um in uh in a in a shack between two buildings like it is the the way that they like they show from the street what it looks like there's these two very big buildings and his tiny little house that is squished between the buildings that he lives in and so they come into his house and immediately she's all over him and uh they're making out and and in the foyer of the house is i have six months to live i'm gonna die and she, she's just she goes, away by... she's like what has gotten into you <laughs> and he's like well I'm gonna die <laughs> yep yep which gentlemen yep. I'll just say there's a time and a place mm-hmm. that's probably he, he, he also he uses this later as another uh, uh, this exact same pickup line and it, and he's amazed both times it doesn't work yeah um but um because to but him it's his like, gift like that's how it felt to me yeah. like yeah. I started living now. <laughs> she backs away from him. And, and this is the way she's, you're going to die? Like, it's just it's so great. Um, and uh, uh, she's like, this is too much. I can't. I can't do it. Like, please, just stay. Listen, um, look, just for tonight. Tomorrow will work itself out. Which I just love is a wonderful philosophy. It like, is. There's so much. There's so much little nuggets of philosophy in this entire movie. Tomorrow will work itself out and we'll go from there. Because she also night. says, I still have a job. Mm-hmm. And he's like, go I got working. I got, I got wake in the morning. morning. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, uh, so she's, she says, I, I can't, Joe. It's all just too much. I can't. Uh, so she leaves, but then she has to come back in for her bag. I forgot, <laughs> my, I forgot, I forgot my bag. It was like stab. Twist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when you see her come back in. Like, yep. Oh. Yeah. Um, so uh yeah, so bye bye, Didi. The next next morning, Joe is in his bathrobe playing a ukulele uh, by his kitchen table. And there's a there's a there's a uh, uh buzz at the door, and he goes over and uh he looks through his blinds. And it's Lloyd Bridges. Um, also very Yes. Lloyd Bridges. Think too far. Joe Banks? Are you Joe Banks? Um, and he's he he uh, he's a Joe Banks. 
And then he raises up his umbrella, which has a duck head as the, like the little handle. So he, Joe Banks, are you Joe Banks? <laughs> and it's just, it's great. Um, is it yes? Um, can I come in? And he just lets him into his house, and he immediately comes in. He's like, um, uh, "This is this is a terrible place you got here, Joe." And he takes the, the umbrella and smashes a hole in the wall. And Joe's like, "Like it's just great." Um, uh, can I say? Uh, I find it a, an incredible uh, um, uh, mark of sophistication that you haven't asked my name or what I'm doing here. <laughs> Um, uh, my name is, uh, uh, Samuel Graynamore. Um, um, <clears throat> I have an opportunity for you. Oh, it's one thing. He also takes out of his overcoat that he's taken off and put on the chair. He takes out of his overcoat, like a thing of mixed nuts, <laughs> peanuts. And he takes the lid off and then he turns it up upside down, boom, like on, on the table and just leaves a pile of nuts. He takes one peanut, puts it in his mouth. No one ever touches the peanuts. For us. It's just like this awesome little thing of like this crazy rich guy and how he just behaves whatever he wants to do. Anyway, um, he talks about his time. Like I, I looked you up. Uh, that that the, the building that was burning down. Like, listen. Going up those st- that, that flight of burning stairs and bringing down two kids. That's brave. You went back up for the third kid. That's heroic. You're a hero, Joe Banks. Well, I don't know about a hero. Um, but he says, um, uh, we, uh, I have, I have somebody in need of a hero. Um, uh, like, do you have, um, uh, do you have any whiskey? No, no, I don't have any whiskey. All right. I want to hire you to jump into a volcano. You know what? I do have some whiskey. Uh, that's a really <laughs> great thing. But but he explains to him um, that that he makes superconductors. He owns he basically cornered the world market on superconductors with his company, and um, he uh, needs a mineral to make them. Which and he says that the only place in the world you can find more than a gram of the stuff is on this little island in the South Pacific. Which feels like you're out of business of this of superconductors. Yes, I also like that he goes. Do you know how superconductors work? And he goes, No. And I go, He goes, Neither do I. Neither do I. <laughs> it's great. But I pay people um, to make them or whatever. There's a little island in the South Pacific called Waponi Wu. The name means little island with a big volcano. Um, and uh, the, every, every hundred years, they believe that a fire god will come out of the volcano and sink the island if they don't make a human sacrifice. A guy has to jump of his own free will into the volcano to prevent the fire god from taking over the place, uh, from sinking the island. Uh, now, as you can imagine, uh, not a lot of them are, are ready to sign up to jump into the big woo. Um, uh, so they need a hero. Um, and I uh, want the mineral rights to this thing and again, it's wonderful because it might as honestly, whatever crazy name you come up with for this mineral will ultimately be as silly as the name they do give it in this movie, which is Boobaroo. Yes. There's a mineral called Boobaroo. It's a fake, it's a fake mineral. Why not give it a stupid, silly, fake sounding name? 
It's, it's, it's honestly, Boobaroo is a better name than Unobtainium, which was an actual straight face thing they wanted us to believe they were after an avatar. Boobaroo is a better name than Unobtainium. I'll go to the grave thinking that. Anyway, um, they, uh, so I want you, I, I check, like, you've got, you've got no family. Good. You got no family. Good. Family's a pain in the ass. Um, uh, you got no money. I checked. What are you going to do for the next six months? Just sit in this horrible apartment that's falling apart and he breaks another thing off of the wall. Um, uh, or um, there's tw- there's 20 days between now and when the fire god's supposed to come out. Um, so uh, we, uh, we here's all these credit cards in your name. Go out tomorrow. Buy whatever you want. Um, the day after tomorrow... Uh, you'll fly first class to LA, get on a boat, and fly and, and and sail on my yacht to this little island. And you'll get there. You'll be treated like a hero, um, and you'll live there for a few days, and then you'll jump into the volcano, and you'll be you'll be a hero forever. Um, and then you know I, I'll I, and just uh, so what do you think? Yeah, okay, I'll do it. Just the way that this. Just the way the way he says, yeah, okay, I'll do it. Like just it's it's so, so good. casual. So casual so and funny. Uh it's so good. Um, so uh yeah, the, and that's the last we see of Lloyd Bridges. That's it. Um, yep. That's it. Um, he's so great. There's just he's so great else. in this scene. He's so great in this scene. Um and uh he and the next day you just hear him say, um, hello. Uh, can uh, I have a I have a American Express gold card? Can I rent a limousine for the day? <laughs> and then he says, "Hey, uh, do you rent anything else? Do, does the driver come with that? Okay, cool. Uh, do you rent anything else? No. Okay, thank you. That's everything." <laughs> um, and you just see him in the back of this limo, and it's Aussie Davis, the great Aussie Davis, who is the the chauffeur. Um, where would you like to go, sir? Uh, what? I said, where would you like to go? I uh, thought I might do some shopping. Um, uh, shopping for what? Uh, uh, clothes? Where, where would you like to go shopping? What kind of clothes are you looking for? I don't know. He just pulls over. He says, what's going on? They just hired me to drive the car, sir. I'm not here to tell you who you are. <laughs> so good. He's, he's so good. that like, you say you want clothes. I believe clothes make the man. It's a very important thing. You you tell me you need clothes. I say, what kind of clothes? You say you don't know. That's like asking me to tell you who you are, and I can't do that for you. So anyway, he goes around to the back and gets in the thing, and they talk about it, and they do this very long little thing about what do you need to do and, like, where are you going? What what kind of clothes will you need? And he's like, okay, great. I have this. I said, what kind of clothes you got now? Uh, What I'm wearing. So you got no clothes. And he gets out of the car. He gets back in the truck. And they drive off to the swankiest um, uh, uh, niche clothing stores in all of New York. where he it's buys a very a Saf- pretty woman, but between two uh, dudes. It's, it, it's very, <laughs> very nice. He goes, he goes and he buys a, um, a tux. He, he, um, this is, um, this is, a, is a, it's a nice tux, isn't it? Yeah, get one for yourself. I, I can't let you buy me a tux. Well, they're paying you to drive the car. They're not the, the job is not paying you to give me all this advice. So let me buy you a tux and we'll call it even. Which is a really nice thing for him to do. 
um, and so he buys Aussie Davis um, uh, a tux, and he goes and buys a safari suit, uh, and then he goes to oh, is it, and he says because um, also we should mention Joe Banks has the worst haircut in the history of haircuts to start this movie. Yes, it is this really awful greasy looking mullet thing. It's horrible looking, um, and so um, this is this is the first time that I know there's deleted scenes on the cutting room floor that we'll never see ever. Because Ossie Davis, you hear him on the, on the car phone say, Cassie, um, uh, yes, I have someone who is de- in dire need of your talents. And then uh, it's a voiceover of him having that conversation as we cut to uh, Joe Banks spinning around in a chair with a nice haircut. And it's Carol Kane. Like it's from um, uh, from Princess Bride and Scrooge and all of these great Everything. late '80s movies, yeah. um, and she's she's got this um, very dramatic wig on, this very uh, European accent. Um, you look like a prince in a fairy tale, um, uh, and she's got two lines, and she's on screen for four seconds. They did not hire Carol Kane to do that. There was a whole scene, I promise you, where Tom Hanks walked into the salon and she met him there. And they had like a little interview about what he wants his hair to look like or whatever. And or she's talking to him while cutting his hair. She had at least a five minute, six page scene that she was in that they cut, just gone. Um uh, but he's got a new he's got a new haircut now. I will I really would have loved to have seen what Carol Kane did with a full scene with her and Tom Hanks. Uh, I'm wondering if it was just too redundant from the car conversation because it could have been very much like a. I it might have been. This has always been my haircut kind of thing. But yeah, I would right. I would love to see that too. I love yep. Tom Hanks's reaction to his new haircut too. He's like, I'm I'm finding myself a little bit like it's a really. Mm-hmm. When you get a nice new haircut, you feel that mm-hmm. way. It was a, mm-hmm. a nice reaction. And then he goes to rich rich guy shops, Hammaker Schlemmer. Yes. And he buys all this ridiculous stuff that you he buys a putting green, like a portable <laughs> putting green. Um and he says, um, and so the, the guys the guy goes all this stuff on the thing. The the these lanterns, this thing, this thing, the and the violin case bar. Will there be anything else, sir? It's a violin case bar. It's a violin case. It's got a bar in it, like a bunch of liquors and and different things. And will there be anything else? And he's uh, he's got this big um, umbrella. I'll take this too. Now the important thing um, is all this crap that he buys at Hammaker Schlemmer uh, winds up going with him on the trip, and he needs it for later to do uh, shtick. So um, it comes in handy. Uh, but then the last thing we see him is he goes to a luggage store. And the the luggage guy is one of my favorite characters in any movie. Like, have you given any thought to luggage, sir? Uh, no. It's the single greatest preoccupation of my life. Like, he's so damn serious about it. This guy in a tweed jacket with a little bow tie. Uh, like, um, where where were you going? Well, I'll be flying to L.A. Um, and then I'm going to get on a boat uh, and uh, for, for a couple of weeks. And, you know, that's it. An awesome voyage. Very exciting. As a <laughs> luggage problem. I think I've got just the thing for you, sir. And he opens this door. And there's a there's a choir of hosannas from the angels. As 
as he wheels out this giant, this is our premier steamer trunk, sir. Uh, it's watertight, tight as a drum. Um, handmade, only the finest materials. And Tom Hanks says, uh, sa- says um, uh, I'll take four of them. May you live to be a thousand years old, sir. Like he's he's like a, a pirate that found his way into like the most. This is the way I love his very gentle pirate accent. May you live to be a thousand years old, sir. He's a, he's great. I love that it is character. Undis- unmistakably pirate. Yeah. Um, so John Hanks buys four um, uh, giant trunks, and he says, uh, "Where are you going now? A uh, uh, fancy hotel." Going back to Staten Island? No, 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 no. Uh, fancy hotel. Uh, the Plaza. Ooh, Plaza's nice. Well, where would you go? I'd go to the Pierre. Then we're going to the Pierre! I love how he and Marshall become this, the, the Mossy Davis's character become really great friends in the span of about four hours. Yeah. Uh, says, would you like to stay and have, have dinner with me tonight? Well, I know. I got, I got wife and kids at home. I got a... I can't. I'm like, oh, okay. Don't you have anybody? No. No. And again, one of the little wonderful philosophies that this movie puts out there. But sometimes there are times where you're not supposed to have anybody. Some doors you have to walk through alone. Wow, that's profound. Yeah. That's very profound. Um, but uh, but he just he he goes and he eats an incredible an incredible meal at this tiny little table at this very dimly lit five star restaurant, and he goes to a bar and he has a martini. And he's very alone, and he walks back to his hotel, and he sleeps in a giant bed, um, and that's he's, that's it. And then the yeah. then the next thing is him get on a plane and uh, flying to the other place to to L.A. And the, we never see him in the place. It's a it's a wonderful little smash thing of a uh, stock footage of a plane, and then him walking down the gangway, and then um, he runs into Meg Ryan again, but it's a different Meg Ryan this time. A redhead Meg Ryan. A redhead Meg Ryan. Uh, she's got a big uh, sign that says Joe Banks on it uh, at the end of the gangway. And she's just popping hips left and right, trying to pose him with the thing. Um, and uh, she, she um, uh, he's like, hi, yeah, I'm Joe Banks. Hello. I'm Angelica Dranamar. I'm, <laughs> she's the ridiculous accent. This is the thing is that she's playing a character as Dee Dee, but Dee Dee feels real. Angelica yes. never no. feels like she's a real person on purpose. Like it's not like she's bad at acting. Like, but like she's supposed to be as over the top as possible. Says, "Daddy said, not I'm I'm the daughter of the man who's who hired you. Um, Daddy said not to tell me um, uh, anything about what you're doing because I'm not trustworthy. I'm a flibberty gibbet, and I, <laughs> it's just a ridiculous thing." Um, so uh, he's, he's like, um, I have some luggage uh, we got to pick up. And uh, okay, fine, go this way. Um, and this is another thing of this is a this is uh, it's a parallel universe. I, I have no uh, no no way but to say it's parallel universe, um, because uh, it uh, they're driving along the coast south um, with nothing around them. Um, but the water on one side and a, and a rising mountain on their left, that is not where LAX is. I don't, there's no, there's no airport they could have flown into. Um, uh, but uh, they, they go to, a, to, um, to dinner where she's increasingly weird. She's a poet and, and a painter 
that's a, that's my painting up on there on on the uh uh on the on the it's a really weird looking painting, but one of the panels of the painting is uh, a red convertible overlooking a um, um, uh, cityscape of Los Angeles up on a up on a ridge, and then they fade into her taking him to the same place. Um, uh, oh, I forgot she sma- she orders the crabs just so she can smash them with a hammer. She's a very yeah. odd person. <laughs> Um, uh, but, um, she, uh, she does, there's this, she says, would you like to hear one of my poems? Um, yeah, sure. Uh, and it's like, long ago, the delicate tangles of his hair covered the emptiness of my palm. Would you like to hear it again? (laughs) It's just so ridiculous. But she... Like she confesses that she's thought of killing herself because she hates this existence that she has, where she like lives off of her father's money. Like the restaurant we were at—that's my father's restaurant. That's why my painting was up in it. Um, she just hates this whole whole thing. Like she hates all of it. And and he uh, he says, if it comes to, like if it comes down to killing yourself or doing the thing that you're afraid to do, why not just? Try to do that thing. I mean, the worst thing that could happen is you die, and the other op- option is you kill yourself. So I was like, I was like uh, do the thing that you're scared to do. You mean leave LA and stop taking my father's money? See, you know what the exact <laughs> thing is that you're scared of doing? Just do that. Um, it's she's so too, great she's, that he's like imparting his newfound wisdom on yeah. people is a, a sweet little um, thing here. She's uh, too closed off. And, and scared to do any of that um, in much the same way that Dee Dee was too closed off and scared to like really break out of her shell. shell. Um, there is a reason why Meg Ryan plays three parts because they are yes. three versions of the same woman. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's very uh, interesting the way, that, but also she, um, uh, she pushes back against all of his philosophy. She doesn't like that because it's so easy for you to, right. um, she doesn't know he's dying. He, he, he's not allowed to tell her that. So whatever. Um, he drives her back to the, he, he, she drives him back to the hotel and she wants to come up, you know, for coffee. Um, but, uh, but he's like, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Um, but thank you. Um, let me pick you up for breakfast tomorrow before we get you to the marina by 10 or whatever. That's what she says. And he just, he looks up at the hotel and decides not to go into the hotel. He just takes a walk and he winds up on the beach and he sits on the beach. He's looking out at the, at the ocean and there's this wonderful moment. I don't know if they, if they meant it to be this way, but um, he's looking out at the beach because he's from New York. He's never been to LA. He's looking out at the, at the water and then the sunrise comes from behind him. And he looks like the world is backwards. Everything he's ever known has been, look. you look this way out over the ocean and the sunrise comes from that direction. Looking out over the ocean and the sunrise comes from behind you. It's like his whole life has been 
is now backwards. It's just really cool because the way he looks at it, he's like, that's not where that's supposed to happen from. He's never watched the sunrise come over the Pacific because you can't. The sunrise doesn't go over the Pacific. Right. The sunrise comes from the other direction. I thought I've always thought that was a really, a really cool uh, moment. Detail, but then he yeah. goes to he goes to breakfast with her. Um, finds out that um, there's Patricia, who's her half sister, who's going to be sailing him to wherever you're going. Uh, he didn't know that before this. Um, there's more of her being weird. Can I ask you a question? Why are you dressed like Jungle Jim? Uh, because he's dressed in a safari outfit. Um, I was like, oh, do you think this is too much for the boat? And he puts on his weird, ridiculous hat. He's like, no, it's fine. Uh, we got to go, though. We got to go to the thing. We got to leave the... But she says, come on, hustle, hustle, hustle. And he's trying to eat one last wedge of orange as he leaves. And he, he's too far away to put it back on the plate. So he just takes it with him. It's He's just so good at this. He's, he's the so, best. He's, he's so good at everything. Um, she, but Angelica... Um, uh, takes him to the um, the marina where he meets Patricia, who's on the docks, who consists on calling him Felix for a little bit. Hey, Felix, what's with all the trunks? Um, that outfit's wearing you, Felix. My name is Joseph or Joe. Why are you calling me Felix? Because <laughs> um, I do whatever I want. Um, says uh, you're so. Angelica says, "Hey, Patricia," um, and they both say at the same time, "You know where Daddy is." Um, say we each, we well, b- both of us never know where our father is, and we each suspect the other of knowing where he is and getting to spend more time with him. So that's why we hate each other, basically, is what she says. There's a, you're in a rotten mood. Yeah, it's the sunlight. It gets me down. That's just a wonderful. If you know John, John Patrick Shanley's plays, that's a wonder. Like it's a, it's, a, it's the opposite of what you would expect somebody to say. Um, he's very, he's a master of that, but. They uh, so Lloyd Bridges says you, you'll 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 t- you take my yacht, and I always forget that yachts used to be just well-appointed sailboats. Now yachts are like cruise ships owned by a billionaire, and so it, it always feels like when when I've forgotten how how small that the the, the sailboat looks in in this particular scene it's like a pontoon because, boat because when the guy when the guy says you'll take my yacht my 2023 brain just knows that i've seen pictures of jeff bezos's yacht and i go well, that, all right it sounds pretty That's good that, thing, it's it. got a, that thing's got a helipad and like you know um it's got its own petting zoo in Zip there somewhere. Code. yeah um uh, but this is not. It's, it is. It seems like a very small sailing boat to be going from Los Angeles somewhere in the South Pacific. Um, but um, uh, they have. There's a. There's a crew that we don't ever meet. I'm also convinced there's a. There is a. Another. Um, um, deleted scene here where we meet Dagmar, who is basically the ship's first mate slash cook slash engineer. Um, Played by the great Amanda Plummer, who's supposed to be Swedish, um, and she has an incredible crush on Patricia, which is never, ever talked about um, beyond little moments and glances and lines. But you never find out about Dagmar. You don't have the moment where Tom Hanks meets her. She's she's a named character before we ever see her. Like, at one point, like, um, Patricia starts talking. Oh yeah, well Dagmar likes to sleep 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 on the deck when the weather is good. We've never we've never seen 
or heard her name before. So it's a very odd thing that they that they deleted that scene. Um, there's there's a very sweet moment though where um, Tom Hanks uh, says goodbye to Angelica uh, with a little kiss on the cheek, and she's again touched that anybody actually cares about her at all. Um, I'm convinced also there's the moment where they shake hands and he shakes her hand and she shakes it with a fist. I'm convinced that that scene, that shot exists, but they didn't use it in the editing because if it does, it's very shanely to, to do like, cause when he reaches out for Dee Dee's hand, she puts a fist in there. And then later at the very, very end of the movie, um, they hold hands, but Meg Ryan has to pry her own fist apart Open. to hold yeah. hands. So this, the, 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 the rule of three dictates at some point, Angelica must put her fist into Tom Hanks's hand, but we never see it. I went back and rewatched it today. They never, they never show it. Um, the, 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 the voyage on the boat is supposed to be for like two weeks. Um, I don't know how much of what we're supposed to have seen, but there's like three, maybe three days that we actually, three days and three nights. They might be yeah. different nights com- corresponding, whatever. Um, uh, we find out why uh, Patricia is so salty. Um, um, but it is also, a, uh, it is a, the first night on the boat where um, Tom Hanks is sleeping below decks um, and she comes uh, to say, say goodnight to him while he's sitting there reading a book in his bed. And she, it's this very long, um, she, you can tell when she first comes down, she's trying to have a conversation with him, but doesn't know how to actually start it. So they have one and then she leaves and she comes right back and she says, do you sleep with my sister? No, no, I didn't. Um, and then she has this very long thing about how um, my um, my dad. Oh, that this is all after they have dinner first. This is where we find out about Waponi Wu, where we're going. And there's a very long right. thing with the history of it that um, a a Roman galley crewed by druids and and. Uh, Jews, like like uh, people that were uh, Jewish slaves, um, uh, was blown off course when they were trying to go to Carthage and wound up at this place and then colonized it, which is why there's uh, a mixture of, of peoples on this island that we that don't do not exist anywhere else because they're Romans and Celtic and Hebrew um, and then the Polynesian people who were there to begin with. Um, which is important because it explains away some of the weirdest casting that has ever happened in the history of <laughs> movies. Uh, but we'll get to that when we get to the end of the movie. Um, but uh, she says that um, this is the name of the v- vessel they're on is, a, is, the, is the Tweedledee. My father owns two of them. There's also a Tweedledum. Um, but he has promised me that this is that I will get this, that this is my boat now. I will get to keep this if I take you to where you're going. That was the price. I don't work for my father. This is a condition of, 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 of me doing this is, is getting this. Oh yeah. That's the same thing. She's still being snotty to him. But then later in the, in, in, in bed, in the, in the little bedroom thing, she explains that um, she's really, she really hates herself because she has a price. She's just always said she would never work for her father who she actually really hates. Um, 
because he's never around and was never around when she was, she was a kid. Uh, and she believes that he's the one who really messed up her sister. Um, uh, but so um, she promised herself she would never do this, but he found her price, used it against her. And now she's doing this thing that she never said she was going to do. Um, um, I'm soul sick. And you're going to see that. And I wanted you to know why. Also, my sister's soul sick for a different reason. And if you had slept with her, then I would have known something about you. But you didn't. And that's important. And good night. But there's a very, there's a very, there's a very, uh, like, her. she lays out her whole character motivations and everything in this little scene. Uh, Super and it's, and it's, layered, really easily it is, done. Yeah. It's incredibly well acted by, by Meg Ryan. Uh, but she's also said earlier that do you want to go fishing tomorrow? Maybe we do some fishing off off the off the off the deck tomorrow. Um, uh, and then after the you want to do some fishing tomorrow, there's this amazingly beautiful layered speech that she gives to him. And then the worst scene in the entire movie happens, which I which I'm 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 sure like a producer said you got to have something to liven it up and make it funny. And for some reason, scored. To the to the tune "Good Lovin" by the Young Rascals, like they fish, like off the side of the boat, and Patricia catches a lot of fish, and Tom Hanks sucks at fishing. And the first time we ever see Dagmar, we don't even know that's who she is. It's Amanda Plummer looking very approvingly and blowing kisses at Patricia as she catches fish and looking over at Tom Hanks who can't, who can't, who gets all the white, the, the, the fishing line tangled fishing in his hands, looking him. at him and like, Oh my God, this guy's terrible. And then he he gets a bite and everyone has to help him reel in this very large fish, which turns out to be a hammerhead shark, which is the worst looking Muppet hammerhead shark in the history of <laughs> the world. This uh, fishing little montage thing was weird and unnecessary. It doesn't belong in the movie, especially right after that beautiful scene. Um, uh, but anyway, they just they they put it in the movie either. Like uh, it, uh, it's one of those things. Like if I could edit it out of all future rewatches of this movie, it would make me so much so much happier. The um, Alex cut. You have your director's cut. You have your Alex. yes, yes. It's true. Um, it doesn't belong in this movie at all. Um, but anyone was very scared of the ha- of the hammerhead sharks, so they all run away. And then it's that night, and they're having dinner again. And I guess they're eating the fish that Angel- that that Patricia caught. But this is where they have a, a discussion about philosophy and God and everything. Um, and out of the blue, um, Tom Hanks like flops down onto the deck where she's also laying down then they, their faces get very close and Meg Ryan immediately thinks she's going, he's going to kiss her and he said he says I have six months to live <laughs> your father hired me to jump into a volcano because he's, the, the Waponis have anyway. a, a mineral they need and um, uh, and, and, she, and she's like what? Um. Uh, well, you gonna say anything? Well, I mean, I don't, you, you tell me you're dying. You tell me jumping into a volcano. My mind is a blank. I don't know what to say about this. Um, and uh, he said, oh, "Okay." And then she goes, "I gotta go." And he's like, "Damn it again!" Like he's like, "No, oh. stop, Tom Hanks." 
Learn Stop the first telling time, women. Tom. Stop telling women you're dying. It's not going to help Six you out. Six months. You should get some loving at that time. Stop sabotaging it. Um. But the the next day. Um. Um. Tom Hanks is uh, back in his safari outfit. And uh, he's down, he's in there, and you can hear um, there's, there's Dagmar, and she's got the headphones on. He says, There's a typhoon warning. Looks like we're in for a blow. And uh, and he goes up on deck, and it's one, it's, it's again, it's, it's like the most, like when I say theatrical, I mean like play type lighting, like everything's like green, yeah. and you can barely see anything. And, and, uh, He's like, uh, Patricia, like, what's going on? Like, uh, yeah, it's the, the typhoon thing. Well, I've never been in a typhoon. I don't know what it's like. Well, Joe, I think you're about to find out. And the wind kicks up. So they, they've tied off all the sails. And they're, they're using engine power now. They'll be fine. But they're not fine. The typhoon's much worse than, than they thought. Um, uh, the, the boom uh, is, is, going to, is going to break off the mast. Um, Dagmar's trying to fix the. Oh, this is what he's like. Go check on Dagmar, says, because they're doing a mayday call. Go check on Dagmar. And Dagmar's trying to fix the fix the engines. And Dagmar um, looks up as like, I'm fine. Um, uh, I'm going to keep working on it. And then she looks up at, at Tom Hanks and says, Protect Patricia. Like with this very, very like sincere, deep, like sincere. Like you can tell, she's absolutely in love with this this woman, and has never been able to tell her. And that like, that's how good Amanda Plummer is. Like with that one line, she's given us everything we need to know about this character, who never speaks again for the rest of the movie. <laughs> and in, and indeed uh, dies right immediately because uh, they're up on up on the uh, uh, up on the on the 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 deck because Patricia is going to try and save her boat. Uh, and then uh, uh, Tom Hanks gets knocked down. She picks him up. They kiss. And then the boom is not secured. So it swings around and hits her in the head, knocks her off the ship. And Tom Hanks jumps into the into the boat to try and um, uh, uh, save her. And while he's able to rescue her from drowning, uh, he looks over and the boat is struck by lightning, breaks in half and sinks to the bottom of the ocean. But. It was very handy dandy. He happened to to um to purchase four fully watertight trunks, steamer trunks, um, because they pop up as water watertight things will tend to do. Um, and he's able to lay her on it and lash them together. Um, and he's he there goes a good thing also that he uh, got that violin case bar because it's got a big bottle of Perrier in it. And he just, he's rashing out water to give to her while she's unconscious um, by dribbling it into her mouth. He sets up- In a movie with a lot of philosophy, Mm -hmm. the idea here is that ostentatious purchases will save your life. Right, exactly. (laughs) Make sure you get that American Express gold card. That's right. Uh, run, run up the limit. It does. You got to do all employ. <laughs> yep. Um, so uh, also, it's a good thing he got that weird umbrella thing because he uses that to shield her from the sun, which is very very hot. Oh, and he got a transistor radio, which is where he plays uh, Beyond the Sea, 
by Bobby Darren and dances to it. It's a very cute little montage. Um, that but, was uh, a good montage. It was a good montage. Um, he uh, also uh, plays this beautiful uh, Hawaiian ukulele song uh, about about a cowboy. Um, it's this beautiful little little ditty he plays um, at, at night. Um, there's all these little things like he tries to putt with the with the putting green uh, set up on the trunks, but it blows away. Um, uh, and it, increasingly, he goes uh, sun uh, sun crazy, like he's got sunstroke because he will not give himself any of the water. Um, no, he just dehydrated himself. Right. Um, and uh, and then one night, this giant moon raises over the, the, the water, uh, and he has this monologue about, how, dear God, whose name I do not know. I forgot how big. Thank you for my life. And then he passes out. It's a beautiful little, it's a beautiful little scene. It's very, very good. Um, and, uh, Meg Ryan wakes him up and says, uh, um, Hey Joe, didn't you save any water for you? Uh, no, that's for you. Um, what happened to the boat? Lightning. Like he's just lost his mind. Um, I still got my trunks. Um, (laughs) uh, what are we going to do? Um, and then, uh, you see, uh, a, I forgot to mention the only distinguishing thing about the ponies who live on Waponi Woo, other than the little island big volcano, is that they love orange soda. They really, really, really love orange soda. Like Cal. So this is this is the weirdest part of the movie to me. And I it's so odd because it is long enough ago that that it could be just like, ha ha, casual racism. But I believe it is is it is an intentional send up of what um, old timey um, world traveling movies would do with natives. Um, they are doing it. They're making it as ab as absurd as possible um, to to intentionally uh, because most of the clothing that is worn by these this this tribe of of, of natives is made from orange soda cans. Yes. Um, it, it's, it's very, very odd. Um, but uh, you see one that's on top of a mountain with a giant telescope that can see them. So then they send out a, a, a bunch of people on those, those little canoes to meet them out in the middle of the lagoon. Uh, and there's a guy there who says, are you Joe? Are you Joe Banks? And yes. And they all celebrate because they know that the guy's coming to jump in the volcano. Uh, the native who comes out and says, are you Joe? Are you Joe Banks? Is played by um, is, pl- is played by Nathan Lane from The Birdcage and, all, and many, many other movies. Who is the, the producers the lead? on Broadway. Like, right, right. Lot, yeah, Nathan lot, Lane. Lot like, um, the least native man in the world. In the world. In the world. <laughs> and this was probably before he, anybody knew who he was, I'm thinking, right? Like this is very early. He he had done stuff on he had done stuff uh, on Broadway. That's probably how you know, John Patrick Stanley knew to cast him. Uh, but he was not a household name by any stretch of the imagination. But he's like the um 
it's, I don't know, shaman for the whole tribe, uh, which is not as, as weird as we find out who the chief is. When they bring them on and they roll out, they, they roll out the red carpet and they're being carried uh, to, up to the, to, the, to the thing and all, all, everyone's there. And then the chief comes out and everyone in the tribe like lays down because they can't look at the chief. But they're standing there. And the chief is played by Abe Vigoda, <laughs> who is the most Roman slash Hebrew old guy you could find to play, you know, a, a Polynesian who's descended from Romans and Hebrews. Um, uh, but he's uh, but he's the he's really the one who speaks most English. Um, he says, uh, um, <clears throat> I am Toby Chief. And he's got a little, little weird little doll thing. Like, what is that? A teddy bear? It is my soul. I hope you don't lose it. Me too. Soul thing. I keep doing the soul thing. Um, the soul says, um, is an animate object. Yep. Uh, so, Joe Banks, at the end of the night, uh, at the end of the day, uh, we will have a big feast. After the feast, you will climb up to the top of the volcano. And you will jump in, okay? Sounds good. All right, great. Um, and then this is the very, very odd uh, scene where I don't even know if it needs to happen. It's just very weird. They they prep Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan for the feast. Meg Ryan is uh, lovingly prepped. Like she gets like a pedicure and like a little spa day for her. Um, uh, meanwhile, Tom Hanks is stripped nude and they pour really cold water on him and smack his back with, with fish. Um, and uh blow hot ash in his face and uh and also stick an octopus to him and uh and he's like i don't want to do this anymore but it's yeah. a, i don't even, i don't know this is a, one of those things like i don't understand why this is even here it doesn't it's because it was supposed it's, to like prep him for how it's gonna feel or something but it was a little weird yeah yeah uh, yeah uh, yeah um so um Oh, this is where Tom Hanks realizes they brought the the trunks onto the shore. So um, for the big um, feast, he has decided he is going to wear his tuxedo. But he's that, that makes him late to the feast, so they think he might have left. But there's a huge thing where, like, Nathan Lane, dressed in the most ridiculous, resplendent orange soda, orange, orange <laughs> soda can bedecked, like, Polynesian native costume, is... Jumping around, doing, he's just saying gibberish. They just said, hey, Nathan Lane, will you say a bunch of native gibberish uh, while jumping around all over the place? He's like, I can do that. Um, again, I have to hope this is to make fun of people who would who do this seriously. Yeah. And then, yeah. So, yeah, anyway. Um, uh, so he shows up in his tuxedo. Um, and... Uh, so then uh, the, the chief, Abe Vigoda, uh, says, um, I can't jump in. The, the, is my ho- I am the Toby chief. It is my uh, duty to hope for my people. I cannot abdicate that. Um, so I can't do it. And nobody else wants to do it because they love their life here drinking orange soda so much. So um, I will ask them one last time because you shouldn't have to do this. It should be one of us. And nobody will do it. So um, Tom Hanks stands up and says, take me to the volcano. And something I only recognized upon on the last time that I watched it, the, the logo 
for the Aki company that he works for at the beginning is a big, like, trapezoid with a very narrow top. And there's this uh, path, this very crooked thing that goes through the whole logo like this. There's a little, like a path up a mountain. Um, the, the, the sidewalk that he has to walk to get to the front of the, of the building after he goes through the, through the, um, uh, through the front gate is the same weird crooked path that, um, that, that, uh, that is on the logo. And when everybody walks up the volcano, they pull back and the logo of the Aki company is the volcano and the path that all of these torches are walking up is the same crooked path. Um, and uh, it is, it's, yeah, it's, I, I had, I don't know how dozens of times I've watched this movie. I did not notice that until the last time I did. Um, so they walk all the way up there and she's following him. Like he doesn't want this to happen. Finally, she stops and says, you can't jump at the volcano. I love you. I've fallen in love with you. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. I never even slept with him or anything, but I've never been loving anybody before, but I'm in love with you and you can't jump. You can't just go and die and leave me in this stinking world all by myself. Um, uh, and uh, fine. Like, like I, I gotta, I gotta do it. Uh, like I'm, I, I love you too, but the time stinks. I gotta go. Um, and uh, so she follows him to the very mouth of the volcano. And he's about to jump in. And she says, marry me. What? Marry me. Chief, will you marry us? Marry me. He's like, I don't want to get married. What? Are you afraid of the commitment? You're going to have to love it on me for about 30 <laughs> seconds. Yeah, all right. Okay, I'll get married. Uh, Chief's like, what? Will you marry us? Yeah, okay. I just love his whole thing. Yeah, okay. Yeah, all right. Uh, uh, he says, um, do you want to marry her? Yes. Do you want to marry him? Yes. You're married. God, I wish that was what it was. Right. So oh. easy. Oh, when my wife and I got married, it, it was, we were standing up there for such a long time. Such a long time. <laughs> uh, those are not very comfortable shoes. The ones you get married in. Uh, I'm very, I wish it had been just like, you want to marry him? You want to marry her? Yes. You're married. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, uh, so he says, I'm going to jump in with you. I can't let you do that. But no, whither, whither thou goest, I go. Um, and he says something about like, you know, um, well, he says this, he says this to Didi too, but he also says it now to Patricia. Well, first time I saw you, I thought I'd seen you before. And, um, and it works on both of them. Um, but, uh, it's not a line. It's the truth, yeah. Because he has, but also it's about how you everyone that you meet has this uh, connection because they're part of this larger story, a journey that you are on. Um, and he says, "I can't believe that uh, this crooked path has led me to you," which also is now the truth because it is the crooked path that he walks the same crooked path he walks to get to his horrible job is the same crooked path. He walks to get here to do his destiny. Um, so uh, he says, she says, nobody knows. Nobody knows what, what's next. We'll jump in and we'll see. We take the leap and we'll see, which is a wonderful way to think about how actually none of us knows what the hell's going on anyway. So they, um, 
he they take the hand. This is the this is the moment where she puts her her fist out and then forces it open. So they grab hold and they jump into the volcano together. And the volcano erupts at that moment, and a giant ste- a, a pillar of steam shoots them out of the volcano, uh, way out into the ocean, and they land in the ocean. And the volcano erupts, and uh, the entire island sinks into the ground. Which I feel really bad about the ponies because they didn't deserve that. They're, yeah. they seem like nice people. Um, yeah. Yep, but they're out there, um, and so they're they're floating out there, um, and uh, and like. Wow, the, the, the volcano spit us out. That's a miracle. How'd that even happen? Wow, we're alive. Uh, I don't know. If, yeah, but I don't know. What, I, we're a million miles from no place. We're going to drown. No, we're not going to drown. Um, and then the trunks come up. Because the entire island is sunk, which means the, the trunks that were on the that beach. on it. Yeah. Uh, they fly back up. So they get on They get on the trunk. They're sitting on the trunk. Um, and he's like, yeah, it's just too bad. I'm gonna I'm gonna die in six months. Um, I, you got I, I don't I don't know. It's like, well, so what's wrong with you? Well, I haven't. Maybe I should get a second opinion. You didn't get a second opinion. Well, you know, <laughs> I I trusted him. Doctor Ellison seemed like a good Doctor Ellison. Doctor Doctor. Uh, oh um um. Oh, he says I have a brain cloud. A brain cloud. What's a what's a brain cloud? Well, it's a it's a it's hard to. I should get a second opinion. Dr. Ellison, Dr. Ellison, Dr. Ellison is my doc, my dad's doctor. Like he doesn't have any other patients. My, my father owns Dr. Ellison. Oh my God. He set you up. And this is where we find out the whole thing's been a setup from the very beginning. Um, so he's not going to die, which is great, but we're now on this. Thousands of miles. There's a shrunk on a raft in the middle of the ocean. Uh, what's going to happen? Um, uh, and it's, just, it's always got to be something with you, Joe, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Oh, but oh, earlier couple. she says, um, when I when I get this boat, I'm just gonna sail away. But where to? Uh away from the things of man. So now she says, where um well, where are we gonna go on this raft? And she said, and he says, Away from the things of, of man, my love, away from the things of man. And they and they float off, and the, the camera pulls up, sees the moon, and says, and they lived happily ever after. We don't know how. We don't know if their passing cruise ship came by, but all we know is they lived happily ever after, which is important. Now, that's not the original ending of the movie. Oh. In, it's totally different end of the movie. Um, they, in the original ending, of the movie, which is what the thumbnail is from, which is why it messed me up so much. Because I knew for a fact, looking at the thumbnail, that's not a scene in the movie that I've seen dozens of times. Because I've never seen the alternate ending. But they shot it, and they have st- promotional stills from it. The, the movie, uh, the, the ending is, they get picked up. There, there are no trunks. They get picked up by the Tweedledum. The sister vessel of the Tweedledee. Oh. Who's, on the Tweedle, who's on the Tweedledum? Well... The rescued crew from the Tweedledee, so Dagmar and the boys who were who were who were curing it, they're still there. But also, Samuel Grainamore, Lloyd Bridges is there, and also Doctor Ellison is there, who's not actually a doctor. In the original version of this, he's not actually a doctor. He's um, he's basically Grainamore's uh, Lloyd Bridges' fixer. He's a tax guy. He's he's a guy. He's a hatchet man. He's a lawyer. He does all the legal stuff that Grainamore needs done. Um, and this is where Tom Hanks finds out from them that the whole thing was a sham, 
and he gets incredibly uh, angry about all this. You can imagine Tom Hanks comedy angry would be very, very funny to see him uh, jumping all over the boat yeah. being very angry. So then Robert Stack, Ellison slash Hindmick, I guess is his real name, pulls out a gun and points it at Joe. And Joe, you think I'm scared of a gun? I just jumped into a volcano. And he just takes it away from him. And he says, okay, now you guys get in the little lifeboat. And and they and and Grainamore, because and and Patricia's like, yeah, dad, get out of the lifeboat. I don't want to see you anymore. You're you're me. Uh, and so uh, Lloyd Bridges and Robert Stack get in the lifeboat. And um, uh, Lloyd Bridges, of course, because he's he's wacky, says, I really respect that guy, Joe Banks. I think he's a, re- a real go getter. I like him a lot. Um, and uh, then he says, all right, now, uh, uh, servant of mine, my, my tax attorney, pick up an oar and row. <laughs> and so they they sail away. The, the, and then uh, the, 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 um, Tom Hanks and, and Meg Ryan do. But then the last thing you see is those, the trunks pop up. The trunks do. And riding the last one is Abe Vigoda. Um, uh, <clears throat> and, so and, and, and he's, uh, he's, he waves and he's still holding the little, little doll. He says, look, I didn't lose my soul. And Tom Hanks goes, me neither. And that's the end of the movie. And test audiences hated it so much that they, they were scrapped it and they've shot an entirely new one, which I think is much better because it's still so philosophical. And also, I love the idea of it being so open-ended with the two of them on, 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 a, on a steamer trunk, floating in the ocean. But then the movie tells us, and they lived happily ever after. So whatever it is that happens, at least they were happy together. They were happy together. It's, 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 it's beautiful. Uh, also, yeah. like, ending the movie on their relationship because their chemistry is so ridiculous in this like good good call good call to leave it at that this is so this is i I love being i love being finding out things like this the same logo of the crooked path is also the lightning boat that strikes the bolt see now this this movie is way better than than any like there's people have like this has got like a 5.9 on imdb Oh, that's ridiculous. No, this this movie's great. This movie's, this really movie's great. This, this movie's great. If it was not for that damn fishing montage, this movie might be like, like, like really, yeah. really, 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 really good. No, this is awesome. Mm-mm-mm. I couldn't keep the flick in anymore if I tried. It's extremely yeah. charming and really well done. And um, just like, it's not like a rom-com. Like there's a lot of depth to it. And I really, really liked it. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a there's a there's a lot of philosophy to it that I really really enjoy, and the relationships um, are all very sweet, like very real and yes, yes. Um, Meg Ryan is just gangbusters. I mean, there's never honestly, there's never been another actress like her. Like there really hasn't. Like that 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 hot streak she was on from the from the the mid uh, mid eighties till about two thousand. Like she's always been so damn natural and likable in everything like that that she's ever been in, um, and and this movie is like really the only time she got to show a lot of real depth 
She could have been a fantastic character actress if anybody. Yeah, my gosh. She's got. She had a lot more that she could do, um, and it's just it's it's so weird that they were like, "You will do this thing and this thing only. You're you will cute. be world class at it." Perky blonde, and that's but it. That is that is the only thing you are allowed to do. <laughs> um, it's, yeah, it's just too bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. Yeah, the title kept up below because it was supposed. To, it was like people didn't know what they were like. I, I, I think it's one of those things that, that um well also I mean, like Moonstruck is a weird friggin' movie. Yeah. Like, like Cher ends up having an affair with the younger brother of her fiance. Um the the brothers' names are Johnny and Ronnie. Ronnie, the younger brother who she has an affair with played by Nicolas Cage, has a giant oversized prosthetic wooden hand. Like there's a lot of weird symbolism in that movie as well, um, and it's, it's but I was like, "Hooray! This is perfect!" And I don't know why. Like it was that movie was was viewed um, as, I mean, it wasn't as weird as Joe versus the volcano, but it was it was no, still but weird. Joe versus the volcano sounds like a silly comedy where this is like a real movie. Yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah, it is it is honestly it is a real movie with some really interesting things to say. Oh well. All right, well that's it. We're done. Right. You're keeping the flick. Oh my god. Like yeah. so kept. Mm-hmm. Best kept. Yeah. 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 Keep it in this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We'll 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 find other things. Um uh we I I prevented I I just I used veto power this week uh to keep you away from the, the drudges of talking dog movies. Um we'll see where else goes next time. All I would have had to say about look who's talking now is man that was rough. I just don't really even remember it too much, but I would have appreciated the dog pun. <laughs> that was rough. Woof, that movie. <laughs> That's what I would have said. There's nothing to say about it. It's yeah. bad. Let's find let's find things that maybe we'll find something that we can actually sink our teeth into and and critique as much as instead of being like this movie's great for 97 minutes. Yeah, but we, we went through some substance. We did. And it's we definitely did. weird. We and it is very weird. And um, honestly, like, I, I think that the, the it's, it's, it's odd because, like, the movie was viewed as this giant, like, box office poison. Like, it, the budget was 25 and it made, and it made over 35. It made, it made its money back and then some. Yeah. But it was just, it was just, it was critically not really well, uh, um, uh, reviewed not poorly, awful, but like middling, and then like the the people were like, "I don't understand things. I want things spoon fed to me." Well, that's why you tune into this show. Yeah, the critics don't know. We know. No, we know. We know. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll we'll know all about it next week too when we tell you whether we're going to get the flick out of here. Bye, everybody. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Click the subscribe button and find out what it means to me. Nah, that doesn't have a ring to it. But if you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.